right. Welcome in. Welcome back to another edition of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel. I am not certain when this episode will post, but it's being recorded on Wednesday, December 11th, um, shortly after the news that Notre Dame and offensive coordinator Chip Long are going to be parting ways. Um, the, I was going to have a show having Nathan Erbach on from Slap the Sign anyways to discuss a whole bunch of stuff. We were going to do that tonight anyways, and now this has happened, and I want his input on it. So so we're going to spend uh, this episode with Nathan. You could find him at, where is it, at Las Vegas Irish. 09 on Twitter. He's a key contributor at the Slap the Sign Notre Dame blog. He's my go-to recruiting guy. And I want to pick his brain uh, about a lot of Notre Dame stuff. And I suspect we're going to find some areas where we disagree, which is totally healthy. I embrace that and I love that. So that's what we're going to do today. So let's do the intros. Let's take care of business. And let's get Nathan on talk some Notre Dame football, shall we? Obviously, you can find the show on YouTube. Type in Always Irish. I'll pop right up. The Twitter machine, Always Irish. You'll find me searching that way or at JKZND4. The podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play is brought to you in part by Big Heads Media. I do not care what you do. I just like the interaction. So like, comment that I'm stupid, subscribe, share with a friend. Don't care what you do. The interaction's healthy for us all. So that being said, you know what's next. Support for the Always Irish Notre Dame football podcast channel comes from Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools to protect your family Jules, fellas, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. I know you're asking how this could possibly be. It's because Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin safe technology, so this trimmer will not sacrifice your stones or beleaguer your baloney. You could book that. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver and Anti-Shaping Deodorant and Moisturizer, fellas. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why stop there? So, for the holiday season, here's what I want you to do. Go to manscaped.com, promo code BIGHEADS, and you're going to get 20% off your order plus free shipping. Always use the right tools for the job. The last thing you want to say after trimming your flute is oh shoot so manscaped.com 20% off free shipping with the promo code big heads that being said we got a lot of ground to cover with nathan erbach i want to get into it right now give him as much time as he wants so let's do it so that being said nathan's on the line nathan thank you for joining me it's never boring in notre dame land no, no, it's never boring. We were just talking about that off air, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely never boring covering Notre Dame. Okay, so let's. The big news of the day is that it comes out Notre Dame and Long are going to part ways. 
Um, and also that this is going to take place before the bowl game. Okay, so that's what's come out the last couple hours. And my first question to you is, and I know you have a lot of insight with the program, with your work at Slap the Sign, all that stuff. Here's what I want to know first. Was this a long decision, a Brian Kelly decision, or both, and... Should we make anything out of it that he's not going to coach the bowl game? So that that's where I want to start. What what do you have to say on that? Yeah, I mean, it, there there have been rumblings. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit there and say that I'm like a, a Notre Dame insider of any sorts. But if uh, you know if you follow it closely and you have a few people that you you know that you trust uh, that that know more than you, um, it, it seemed sort of in, inevitable. Um, maybe not even like to where it was going to be this year, but definitely at some point. I do think Kelly and Long had their differences as um, you know, as an H, as a head coach and offensive coordinator. Um, and but I also think that Long really, really loved the University of Notre Dame. So there were there were things from his side that wanted him to stay, um, but also. You know, him wanting to maybe pursue his own path, whether that be as a head coach somewhere else or um, as an offensive coordinator with a head coach that maybe suited his, um, I wouldn't even say his coaching style per se, but maybe more of like his personality. Um, but no, I think I think it was definitely a little bit more mutual um, than, than some people want to admit. And that's probably the reason why he's not coaching uh, the bowl game. They're both, they're just going to cut ties, uh, you know, as quickly as possible and not sugarcoat things for, you know, players inside of the program um, and that are going to be future players inside of the program. So, okay. So that, that makes sense. And there have been rumblings um, for a while at, from my perspective, I'm totally fine with this. I mean, I, I still don't really know what the Notre Dame, long offense like what's the identity i'm still struggling to find that and i i'm totally fine with this so so i'm not gonna sit there at all and be like oh my gosh long's gone what are we gonna do like i'm not in that position um and and so let's fast forward this and this is where i think it gets interesting okay so the first two names that come up to take his place are internal in taylor and uh, Tommy Reese, okay? Now, I a part of me would really like to get some fresh eyes on all this talent coming into the Notre Dame offense and what they have. To have a fresh perspective, a clean slate, a guy with new ideas. Um, am I off in that? Or is this just going to go to Tommy Reese and that's just it? Like, am I crazy for even wanting to explore that? Or is this going to be, here it is, Tommy or Taylor, and then off we go? I mean, it certainly seems that way. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it either. I mean, I'm intrigued, I guess, would be the way I would describe my feelings. Um, You know, I mean, obviously the things we do know about Tommy Reese, um, whether fans want to uh, rip on him or not, is that he's well-respected inside of the coaching world. Um, he was well-respected as a player for his intelligence. 
Um, obviously, he knows the Notre Dame program as well as anybody, um, and he's been around the program, you know, as a, as a coach for the last, I think, three years. Um, so he knows the players that they have right now, and he knows, um, you know, the incoming recruits. So um, I think that would make, to a certain extent, somewhat of a, um, like a seamless transition, um, at least from that perspective. But the big question mark is whether or not he can, you know, be the leader of an offense from a play calling perspective um, and so on and so forth that way. But no, I would say I would be pretty shocked at this point if it wasn't Reese as the offensive coordinator and then maybe Taylor is kind of like the, the run game coordinator for, you know, for lack of a better word, which would maybe put him as like a co-offensive coordinator. But, you know, now that I think about this from uh, when they hired Taylor, there were a lot of reports last year that he that he had a lot of aspirations to become an offensive coordinator. And obviously, he's you know, he's been at Stanford with McCaffrey um, as their running backs coach. And then he went to Carol, you know, he went to uh, the Carolina Panthers as their I think he was like their wide receivers coach. Um, so he's been around the block. So maybe not as a, um, you know, he's never been a play caller of sorts. Um but now with this whole long thing coming out all of a sudden, it, it makes you wonder if hiring Taylor was maybe a, a one-year plan, knowing that long could be gone soon. Um, I mean, and I, and I don't know that of any, you know, I don't really know that at all if that's, if that's the case or not. But I, I, you start thinking about these kind of things and, you know, Reese and Taylor are considered young up-and-coming coaches that, if they weren't going to be offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, they were going to get that kind of gig from uh, another program here in the next couple of years. It's just, I th- it's interesting. I mean, you, you, a part of me rolls my eyes because it's like, okay, both these guys were a part of the offensive offensive plans that averaged 15 and a half points and 46 yards rushing against the two best teams on the schedule. Why Why would I feel like sliding one of them over what's going to open up this offense? And will Brian Kelly even allow that? Or is so, like there's still this feeling I have that Brian Kelly looks at Tommy as his quarterback. Will he actually let him say, Brian, I want to do this? Or, or is that's where I get a little jumpy about this where, where it's like, it, will he actually let him do something different or is it still all under Kelly's control? You, do you get what I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kelly tries to ease that transition at all by, you know, maybe calling plays for a little bit or, or at least putting his input in there. Um, or at least feeling like he maybe has the power to put his input there more so than maybe he did with a chip long who was like, Hey, Kelly, leave me alone. This is my offense. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that should at least rate race and question marks, whether or not Kelly wants to try to get his implant in the program a little bit more than it has been the last couple of years. But at the same time, I think you have to trust that Kelly and, you know, year 10, year 11 of, of being at Notre Dame, he understands what, what he wants in an offensive coordinator and that he understands what, you know, guys like Tommy Reese and, and, uh, 
and Taylor bring bring to the table as as coaches if he chooses that route. I mean, it's a really big hire when you look at where this program is, you know, the third year in a row with 10-plus wins, the playoff appearance last year. You look at all the skill talent that's that's in the program and going to be coming in the next couple years. I mean, this is it's a critical hire. I don't want to over-exaggerate it just because we're Notre Dame fans, but I look at all that talent, and I want to find somebody who's going to open it up and maximize all this speed and skill that we're going to have. And I just, my initial gut reaction was, if if you have those two guys in-house, what does it hurt to go fish around for fired head coaches or whatever, or a guy that can open up a different recruiting region for you, bring it in and open some eyes and say, we could do things totally different with the guys you got. Like, that's where my initial gut goes. I'm just, this buddy system thing makes me nervous. And maybe that's not warranted, but that's kind of how I feel. And and I just, it's a big hire. And you got you to gotta find a way to score points against the good teams on your schedule. And we're, we haven't been doing that. And I... It just makes me a little nervous. I, I just don't want Buddy's system and then Kelly's comfortable because he's got Reese under his wing because he was his coach. Like, that's the dynamic that makes me nervous. And I don't want to sell Reese. I don't want to sell Reese short, though. I think him being, being in the position he's in at the school he played quarterback for under the coach he played quarterback for complicates the dynamic, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's 100%. I mean, I've been in a situation where I've coached with a coach that coached me. And and that is tough because you're, at, you know, at one point you're, you know, you're used to getting yelled at by that coach as a player. And then, you know, in, the, in this next dynamic, yes, are you still getting yelled at by that coach as a, as a coach? You are but there's more of a respect factor there, or at least there should be. And part of me wants to believe that maybe Reese wouldn't be at Notre Dame if he didn't feel that him and Kelly were, you know, looked at more as peers now than they were at least when, when Reese was there, you know, in the early 2010s um, as a player. But, but I do think there is a little bit of a different dynamic where, like I just mentioned this with Long, I think part of the reason why Kelly and Long didn't maybe get along as much as as uh, as they did was that Long wanted to do his own thing, and he was like, "Listen, I'm I'm an established coach. I've been an offensive coordinator at other places. Um, you hired me here for a reason. I don't have any ties to you. Let me do my job." And with Reese, who knows if that's going to be be what happens? Now, if it's Taylor. Or even if it's Co, you know Taylor and Reese. Outside of this past season, you know Taylor hasn't been around. He doesn't have that those ties to to Brian Kelly. So that might be a little bit of a harder thing for Kelly to just you know dominate him. For I guess for lack of a better word. Um, now, at, at the same time, I think that that's sort of you know here nor there. I, I trust that Kelly wouldn't necessarily do that too much. Um, but I do think it's a legitimate concern, at least from from fans. I just I want to know 
what the identity of the Notre Dame offense is. What are we good at? What can we do that we can rely on? What can we do when we want to do it, when we need to do it? And and that's, I think, this up and down nature of this offense. And sometimes we run it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're throwing it all over, sometimes we're not. I would just like some stability to to know there's a foundation of like what we're trying to do. And I... <laughs> I'm just nervous that if it's in-house, it's going to be more of the same. And I hope I'm wrong. And, but I do, I, I'm relieved that you don't think I'm crazy for asking that dynamic question. Because I, I think it is, I think it is a part of it. So how do you think this is going to play out? Do you mean in terms of who they actually end up hiring? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would lean that it's going to end up being Reese. Um, as the offensive coordinator, um, and then personally, I think that you're going to probably see a, uh, see a promotion from Taylor. I just don't know what it will be, but that's the early indication that I get. Um, I've heard the, I've heard the name Mike Dembrock. Not sure I like that. Um, I don't really have anything against Mike Dembrock, but it goes exactly back to what you said about hiring your buddy, bringing back the old. I mean, part of the reason we got rid of Mike Denbrock was because 2016, Kelly decided that the program was, you know, in shambles, for lack of a better word. And they wanted to make change and get away from his buddies. And now Mike Denbrock's at Cincinnati. So I don't really know if that's, if that's something we need to bring back, whether or not I have respect for the guy or not. Right. And then let me ask you this. Uh, and what is Tommy Reese's credibility like as a recruiter because that's another part of this that matters and if you could get a guy in with maybe a bigger name to walk in these schools or open up a different region um what's what's his credibility level in terms of recruiting the biggest thing that i've heard with with reese is that he develops really strong relationships uh with recruits and that he's actually been very positive on the staff in that regard. And it's not just with quarterbacks. Um, and to be completely honest, it's not even just with offensive players. I'm pretty sure he was really, um, he was really integral in, in landing Riley Mills. Um, that he's sort of the area recruiter in that Illinois Midwest region. Um, so he was a big time guy with Riley Mills on the, uh, the defensive end that's coming in. But um, no, from everything I've from everything I've seen is that Reese as a recruiter is actually a pretty positive thing. Does it does it make you nervous at all that neither of these internal guys have had this job before? Like, do you think that's a huge deal that neither of them have actually called plays and been offensive coordinators, or or do you think it would be? You know, for Tommy, he's as the quarterback and everything. He's he could slide right in there, and know know what he wants to do. I mean, I think there's definitely a question mark. I mean, there should be. I mean, if you've never called plays before, who knows if you're good at doing it? I mean, that's that's obviously a big question mark. It does seem though that in today's college football and even in today's NFL, guys with you know maybe not a lot of experience calling plays are are landing jobs and being successful in landing those jobs. Um, I mean, I have two guys I can point to off the top of my head are Graham Harrell, 
um, who's now the USC offensive coordinator. And even though USC's program in general is sort of, you know, in limbo right now, a lot of people seem to really like him as an offensive coordinator. Um, Kellen Moore, uh, the offensive coordinator for, for the Cowboys, um, I know a lot of people really respect him and think that he's really deserving of that job, even though the kind of the same thing as USC, the Cowboys right now are sort of, are sort of everywhere with, you know, the Jason Garrett stuff and all that. Um, you know, and then I guess even the, the team that we love, and I know that they've been under scrutiny a lot as well, but, you know, Matt Nagy, what did he call plays for the Chiefs for like six weeks? And then he landed the, the head coaching job with the Bears and took him to a 12 and four season his first year. So you see it, you see it in all these different places where guys are that lack experience are getting these jobs and, and having success at least to a certain extent. So from that standpoint, that, that relieves my, sort of um, maybe question marks about it. But I, but I do at the same time think that you have to be cognizant of the fact that these guys could fail. Um, and it could look very bad if they do fail. I guess, okay, let's run with this. Say, say it's Reese. Like, I ask myself, what, what will you be able to notice that will be different? from what we've been doing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm to the point where, yeah, that's great. You averaged 41 and a half points in 10 of the games you played. That's wonderful. But in the two against the best opponents, you didn't do anything. What, like, what would be, I, I just struggle to see what would be noticeably different if it's one of these internal guys. And that, I want noticeably different because what we're doing against the best teams we play is nowhere near good enough. So, I, I'm I'm fine with the ten wins against ten teams. You should beat because you have more talent. Then maybe take USC out of that, but nine for sure. Then so that that's where where I'm thinking is like if it's inter what will what will be noticeably different and will Kelly allow it? Like that's the part that I struggle with. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's the big question. I don't think any of us really know. I don't think people that. Um, even really cover the team for a living really now. Um, I, I, I think I, I just tweeted something out before we came on that I think that people that are praising po the possibility of Reese need to settle down. And I think the people that are dismissing it as completely something you shouldn't do need to settle down because we probably won't realize really what's going on here. Um, you know, for a while. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I don't think any of us really know what Reese or Taylor would bring to the table from a play calling standpoint that would be different than, you know, what Long, what Long provided or, or what Kelly provided, Denbrock provided, you know, before, before them. So um, I, I, I think people that are searching for that answer probably just kind of need to hold off on it for right now. Well, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I do think that that's probably fair, but that's not how Notre Dame people operate. And it's definitely not how oh, yeah, I operate, <laughs> you know? Oh, uh, okay. Wait, I got, yeah. Unless they brought in, unless they brought in someone just completely different that has zero ties to Kelly or anything, then, then maybe you'd have a track record of looking at, you know, what's different. But even then, I mean, we have no idea if it would be successful or not. Right. Um, okay. While we're so we're just gonna have to see how this plays out. I, I think you there's positives and negatives no matter how it's gonna go. 
I do think if you go with internal, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to roll their eyes until we see better results against the better teams we play or the offense actually looks different and has an identity and has some form to it that I think we're struggling to find most of this year. But while we're on the coaching discussion, I want I want to talk about two other guys. Is there any talk about the offensive line in Quinn at all? I've I've heard that there is, but I don't I don't know. I've even heard that part of the reason Long left was because of Quinn, but I I, I really don't really I don't really have that info to, to to speculate on to be completely honest. But but to say I haven't heard that there are at least rumors out there that that Quinn either could be gone or moving into a different type of role, um, and also like I said, the fact that maybe that's a reason Long. Long ended up deciding to leave because he had a difference with Kelly in terms of retaining Quinn. I, I don't know. That's all speculative. Um, but but I do think that, that, you know, there's always something to be said about rumors. I don't think that rumors happen for, for zero reason. Yeah, I, I just, it's just something to look at. I know they had a ton of injuries in that group. Um, but with the penalty, the, the, False starts all year, over 30 of them, and and the way we could run, and then we couldn't, and I don't think we're nearly physical enough at all. There, there's just, I just think it warrants being looked at. I'm not saying you got to do anything, but it's an area when I look at where we fell short this year, that's the offensive out, you know, the, the offensive game plan and offensive coordinator is one area. But that offensive line's another area where I would be at least looking to see if there's an opportunity to upgrade because I O-line you is great, but Quentin Nelson ain't here. Martin's not here. Ronnie Stanley's not here. And you ran it for 46 yards against Michigan and Georgia. I got a problem with that. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. You should have a problem with that. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I just do. Well, that's why it drives me crazy when I hear, oh, this is the highest scoring offense in Notre Dame history. That's awesome. Yeah, and it was all in those 10 games. And the two against good teams, you couldn't do jack. So that, that annoys me to listen to people celebrate that. Now, let me ask you about this. What does Notre Dame have to do to keep Clark Lee from leaving? Because that's the flip side of me wanting to get rid of people. Now I got a guy I need to keep. How do we keep him? That's it's an interesting thing. So part of me, part of me likes when coaches move on when it becomes a head coaching gig because a it means you're doing something right as a program where you're developing offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, other coaching staff members that other programs want to lead their program, which in turn means that maybe they are really successful at that program and then come back in the future and possibly take over for Kelly when he decides to retire or leaves in whatever capacity he leaves in. But at the same time, Lee is maybe the best, the best uh, assistant coach they've had you know, since I can really remember uh, personally, and I'm—I I don't know—I've been pretty vocal that I want him to be the next head coach at Notre Dame, and I hope that it becomes one of those Lincoln Riley, 
uh, you know, types of scenarios where, um, or, or, you know, or Ryan Day type scenarios where it's essentially known that he's going to be the next head coach and he's just waiting for, you know, for Kelly to step down or, or the head coach to step down. That, that's my hope. Um, and so that would probably be the way I would say <laughs> the way to really keep him is promise him like, hey, like him and Kelly have a talk and say, hey, I'm leaving after 2023. I'm going to sign this extension and then I'm done. I'm done coaching. I'm going to do whatever else. It's your job after this. Maybe that keeps him around. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but I think that that's been something that has at least been successful in keeping other coaches that probably would have left for other gigs. Yeah, and that's exactly where my mind's been lately. Uh, I, I've been saying on my show, Clark Lee's the, the all-star of this staff. I mean, he that defense last year gave up 18.5 points a game. It's like 18.6 or 18.7 this year. So he's doing a fantastic job. The all-star of the staff, his particularly, a lot of his halftime adjustments have been absolutely fantastic. Sometimes that defense looks leaky. They go in there, tighten it up, even in the Michigan game. When everything went wrong for everybody, that defense got a bunch of three and outs right after halftime and gave us a chance. And so I absolutely love what he's doing. He's the all-star of the staff. And then I just get nervous. There's a lot that goes into being the head coach at Notre Dame. You got to be half politician first, half coach later. And again, it's tricky because you're saying this could be the next big guy. But I also say it's different having to run 50 different things instead of just your defense. And so it's a really tricky dynamic how you're going to how you're going to play this out. I would like the idea that I know I'm going to have a good defense from the next coach. That gives me some comfort. But what about everything else? Yeah, I mean, he he seems like the Notre Dame guy. I mean, it's kind of like this whole Reese scenario where, I mean, it's, it's always going to be a what if until – so you see something out of it. I mean, obviously, Clark Lee, if he immediately takes over the Notre Dame job and he's never been a head coach before, you know, you're, there's going to be, there's probably going to be a lot of people that hate the idea of, of Notre Dame even promoting him to head coach just simply because of that. But wouldn't you agree, and, I, and it seems like you do, that there's just something about Lee that screams not only head coach, but just Notre Dame type of head coach? Yes. Uh, yeah, I... I do. The one thing is, though, like, I haven't, I don't know his personality enough to know how he would handle all the tricky dynamics that go into being the Notre Dame coach. And I I don't know all that stuff. But what I do know on the field, I would absolutely be relieved to know my head coach values defense and to know we're always going to have a decent one around. It's like, it's such a crapshoot though when you do this higher from within. Sometimes you get Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley and other times you flame out. <laughs> you know, it's just trick. You you just, you don't know. And it also depends on what else is out there, who else is out there. I, I just, it would be really frustrating to lose Clark Lee some weird way. I, I just think he's the rock star and you got to keep him in this program. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, honestly, I was listening to the uh, Irish Illustrated podcast uh, yesterday, and I, I think another way to help to help ensure that he stays around is they have a linebacker's assistant coach right now, who I think is considered a grad assistant, that 
essentially came over with Lee and Elko and then stayed with Lee. And a lot like McCarthy did back in the day when he was essentially running the safeties when he was a grad assistant. Uh, I believe this kid's name is Lozinski, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. But they're, they're essentially saying that since Clark Lee is now the defensive coordinator, Lozinski is essentially running the linebackers unit as the linebackers coach. Um, and if and there's been some talk with the possibility of Todd Light leaving, that maybe they hire, um, you know, someone a little bit. They, they might not hire like a, a cornerbacks coach per se, but just make Terry Joseph the entire secondaries coach, and then promoting this Lewinsky kid to linebackers coach um, officially. Now that's sort of minuscule to a certain extent in keeping a coach, but at the same time, I don't think that's the guy that that Parkley wants to, um, you know, wants to lose. And if he took uh, a, a head coach job somewhere else. I think that would be one of his first hiring Slavinsky kid as a linebackers coach um, because they have such a dynamic together. So I think doing some of those stuff to at least please your please him as a you know as a defensive assistant uh, would would certainly would certainly help with that as well. Interesting. Um, okay, so for the sake of time, let let's move on a little bit. And uh, I know you've been on the show before. Um, but we haven't talked together since the the whole season. What what's what's your before we talk about the bowl game, which we have to do? What what's your thoughts overall with with this season and your your ten and two? So there's there's a couple thoughts. First of all, if I'll do the positive spin first. Ten and two on paper is great. Um, in terms of it's now the third year in a row you've won 10 plus games it seems like that's hopefully the norm moving forward with with the coaching staff that they have in place um, and the recruiting that's going on as well Um, so I love the fact that maybe we can get back to as a program 10 and 2 or, or sorry 10 plus wins being the standard that that part to me is great um and and the fact, and like I said, the fact that recruiting is there, I think, makes that great as well. So I think those kind of go hand in hand. The the part that is frustrating, and I know that you agree with this, and maybe even to a higher extent than I do, is that the team under Kelly, you can almost go back every season where they had a, a really, really, really disappointing loss that either shouldn't have been a loss or shouldn't have been a blowout loss. And this year specifically, with if we're just talking strictly, you know, 2019 10 and two football team, you and it's been mentioned all over the place. The team essentially lost their their end goal with Michigan, and and I don't mean that to say that, and I and this is where I think me and you kind of disagreed, or at least on the surface level where when you're tweeting versus my tweeting, people perceive them differently, even though I don't think they're as far off as as they seem. It's not like we've stopped watching Notre Dame or that they don't have goals. Come on, don't do this. I wanted us to disagree. Come on. No, no, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree. All right. I hope you do. I thought we were going to. 
there, I think there are a lot of people, and this is, I guess, is probably a better way to put it. So we disagree. I think there were a lot of people that once they lost to Michigan, they said, "Screw the season. It's over. Nothing else matters. I'll continue to watch because I'm a fan, but I'm I don't care anymore. That they there there's nothing to be gained from you know going out in November and winning five games." and even looking impressive in those games. And I disagree with that. And I don't even, and I'm not even saying that you necessarily just first level there, there are so many people that are like, well, you know, eight and five would have been just as good because of the, because of the loss to Michigan. First of all, my argument would be don't lose the Georgia because that technically ended all of your goals in terms of winning a national championship because even 11-1 and one wasn't going to get you into the college football playoff. The problem with Michigan is it was a blowout against a team that I still don't believe is better than you, and they did it. But going 10-2 helps with recruiting. Winning your last five games by, and then I think the last four by a combined 20-plus you know, points a game that helps with recruiting. It helps with morale going into the next year. It helps keeps play. It helps keep players that maybe were considering a fifth-year transfer or a, just a, strictly a transfer out of the program. Um, you know that keeps them maybe at Notre Dame, like an Ian Book, for example. It it makes it to where players that are senior that are obviously a hundred percent leaving because they're. Maybe have point from like uh, I'm trusting from just quite cool pick and possibly going into the Notre Dame history books for some of his single season you know awards or if Ethan Book didn't have the the last four games that he had people would really be screaming for something new and now most fans really want him back. So I, I think that mailing it in after Michigan is is kind of just this weird thing that I think upset fans that upset fans you know say, but they don't actually really believe when you really talk to them about it. And I, I don't know, may, maybe I'm confusing people with my logic here and, and what I'm saying, but that's just what I, I just think that there's so much at stake throughout an entire season that doesn't necessarily correlate with, you know, going to the college football playoff and, and winning the national championship that, that, uh, you know, we're at stake even after the loss of Michigan. And, and not only that, or, or, and I guess just flipping it, flipping it one more way. Stands back. You, you want to be in contention at least until November. Yeah, I mean, I think I think semantics as semantics matters. Then, I mean, we're saying we're saying a lot of the same things. I think a lot of this is semantics of how you're, you know. But it, it's hard because when you're Notre Dame, once you're out of the playoff, you know, you're not in this conference. There's no division to win, and it's it's you know, that's your goal is the playoff. And it's a justified goal for where this program is. That's the other thing. It's not like this goal is unrealistic. 
it's a very realistic goal based on what, what we've achieved the last few years. I think the problems I was having was you're out of the playoff hunt for sure before Halloween. And I got people losing their minds over blowing out Navy. And it's like, yeah, that's better than losing. But how excited can you be when your goal's already done and then you blow out Navy like and Duke? Like, great. And that's better than losing. But you still got to keep the big goal in mind here. And that's the problem I have. The, the, we need to be, we're going on 11 years now. Why is it too much to ask that you win the biggest game on your schedule or not get blown out against a rival? Like that's, that's the problem I have is you don't get, to, last year you're undefeated. Every game you play mattered nationally. No matter who you beat, it's a big deal because it's a national relevancy thing. We didn't have that at the back end of this schedule. And I'm sorry, you get less credit winning games when there's less pressure on you because you're not playing for the big prize. You just do. And you know who else agrees with that? The committee, obviously, because we blew everybody out and didn't move up. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's where me and you agree the most is it, it's not even the fact that they went 10-2 and two per se. It's, the, it's how they went 10-2. and two. Like you mentioned, they, they, they won all the games that they should have won, which is great. I mean, that's how you want to do it. Um, I think one of the biggest things I have with personally, I would rather get blown out by Michigan than go 10 and 2 and lose to Louisville, you know, to, to open the season or, or not, not to open the season, but like, I don't know, maybe one of the games at the end of the year where, okay, yeah, maybe they were 11 and 1. But just because they beat one good opponent, but then but then had to had a stinker game against you know an average opponent. What, what's the difference? Well, I think there were so many fans that were like, "Well, why? What? what? Like they they focus so much on the, getting blown out by Michigan or losing to Georgia, where they don't win this big game. But what's the difference between going out and beating Georgia on the road and then coming home and losing to Virginia Tech?" Or, okay. You know, to me, that doesn't make any sense. All right. I, I think I got answers for both of these questions. Number one is my natural hatred for Michigan clouds my judgment to where I will trade just about anything, including my body parts, to not lose to that team. And especially the way we did. And I mean it. I absolutely mean it. I would give just about anything to win that game. Now, here's the other one. I've thought about the exact thing you're bringing up with Georgia. Here's the difference. At least if you beat, say you win that Georgia game and then lose a dumb one to somebody you shouldn't lose to. At least you prove that you could win a game against a top five team on the road. And, and right. yeah, it would be disappointing to lose to some dumb other team later in the year or whatever. But the national perception at least for a while is that you could beat a team of that caliber, which we haven't done yet. That's the difference. And and to me, there's value in that. And then you could you lose a dumb one, I'm gonna be mad anyways. But you had two national perception games here, and you're 0 for two, and one of them I can't even bring myself to talk about. Right, right. I think I think me living on the West Coast, I've always been more of a USC hater than a Michigan hater. 
Um, so my me, it's when they lose to USC. That's that's the big deal. Um, but I will say, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, there there is something to be said about beating your rivals. At least at, at even like if they go five and seven, but they beat Michigan, you know, at least you beat Michigan. That's a bad year, but at least we beat Michigan. Um, so I get I get that to a certain extent, but when you look at it from like a whole picture perspective, I I don't see too much of a difference. Um, even even with kind of the points with you saying I, I agree with to a certain extent because they haven't really won that big game at least not enough. Yeah, I mean, what what about what about just saying? It's year 10, and why are you losing the two biggest games on your schedule 10 years in? That's frustrating. Why? I mean, is that not fair to say after 10 years, you can't win one of the two biggest games you play all year? Is that, am I asking? Am I really asking for that much? I think the, I think the year 10 stuff or whatever, or, or whatever, you know, however you want to say it, gets overblown a little bit because uh, I know that's your, kind of your go-to line. The last, hey, the last big game they won that they maybe weren't supposed to win was 2012 at Oklahoma. And I'm sitting here seven, I'm sitting here seven years later. Seven years. I don't even. That is the last I game. I don't even mean it from the the point of, of this specific topic. I meant it as like that's kind of your go-to line in general. Like I've seen you tweet about it in other instances. Like, oh, it's year 10, game 12. Why does the offense look bad? Well, I mean, sometimes the offense just looks bad, whether it's game 12 or game 6, um, or, or the defense. Like, I think, I think you actually mentioned it last game against the defense when Stanford had a couple of successful drives. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give Clark Lee the benefit of the doubt and have him figure it out, which he did. I'm not going to sit there and be like, okay, it's year 10, game 12 under Brian Kelly. The, the defense has to perform perfect in the first half of that game necessarily. That's that's where I was kind of poking fun at your at your at your year ten. And I mean I, I under I, okay, I get I get it that every year's different. You have different changes and all this I understand that. But honestly, the last big game we won that maybe people didn't think we were supposed to win, I can't come up with another one other than at Oklahoma in twenty twelve. And that's not that's not Notre Dame football. I'm sorry. It's just that's that's not what built this program is losing every big game you're in for seven years. Like, like it's just really frustrating. And a lot of the big games to us aren't big games nationally. Like when we did beat Michigan or beating up on USC when they're down, those are big deals to us. But I'm talking about nationally. Oklahoma was the last one, and I'm losing my patience. Right. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think I, I, I think Kelly has, uh, I mean, maybe not more so than a lot of other coaches when you look at their records in big games um, outside of, like, you know, a couple of those elite guys. Um, but that's exactly what we're striving for is to be one of those elite programs. Um, and when you lose, when you lose all of those games, or at least you know the vast majority of those big games, it, it becomes an issue. Let me ask you this: I, I just, I don't want this to go the rest of the show because I can't handle it. But I just want to, just your quick, just your quick thought: How does what happened at Michigan happen? How? How? So, two weeks to prepare. How? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna spin this in a way that if any of your followers also happen to follow me on Twitter, they probably have seen it. Um, and if they have seen it, maybe I'll refresh their memory. One of my biggest problems with that game, from a fan perspective, was the fact that it happened to be Kelly got the blame for a lack of preparation in terms of the team's motivation when I don't think that those two things are necessarily mutually exclusive. Do I think that the team should have been prepared better? Absolutely. First of all, the the rain excuse is bullshit because not even the fact that both teams have to play in the rain, but the coaches know the forecast going into the game. They should be more than prepared to have a game plan with, with the weather conditions. Now, do I, I, the, the reason I say it shouldn't matter to both teams, I do think certain teams play better in those types of conditions because it suits their style of play. Well, fine, but you're not even playing on a sloppy field. It's field turf. I mean, come on. You know, I, was just, I was just mentioning that from a preparation standpoint for the, for the actual weather conditions, to me, is a bigger factor than, oh, well, Michigan was possibly the better team in the rain. That might be true, but it was a total lack of preparation from Notre Dame to actually play well in those conditions, which is weird to me. The other, but, but the other thing is, is Kelly could have had that team completely prepared for that game, and we'll never know because I think that they completely gave up and were unmotivated. And to me, that's not necessarily the coach's fault. And, and that's where I'm saying I'm putting blame on the players as much as I'm putting blame on the coaching staff. And that's where I think a lot of people disagree with me. Your players have to have self-motivation. I've, I've been a college, I've been in a college locker room for much longer than probably most of our listeners. I can tell you right now that a lot of coaches have very little effect on whether or not the team itself is going to be actually motivated to play. Um, now, preparation is a completely different thing. If, if they were unprepared from a coaching standpoint, which I think to a lot of extent they were, that, 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 that's there, and that's part of the game. But I think more emphasis has to be put on the players for just simply not playing well either. I just I look at a game like that. <clears throat> I look at Miami in 17, these huge rivalry games, fan bases that hate each other, everything, all your goals on the line. And I just don't understand why it looks like we don't come out and match the energy and intensity and emotion level of the other team. Like you said, neither one of those two particular rosters should be bowing out Notre Dame. This, that's, dip, that's different than Alabama in 2012 men versus boys. Both of those situations, it, something is not connecting. And I just, it, I can handle, you know, physical errors or whatever. You just don't have the guys. Neither one of those were the case. And the only moving factors then is preparation and motivation. And I don't have any patience for failures in either of those areas. How could you go to Michigan and not be fired up to play Michigan? How? I don't get it. I don't understand it. No, 100%. Like you said, I mean, Alabama in 2012 and 
Clemson last year. I mean, those were just superior teams. Yeah, and and, and I can I can come to terms with that, but not this. Yeah, show up. Okay, so yeah, no, I, I think me and you both agree Notre Dame is still a better is still from a at least from an athletic standpoint probably better than Michigan. That's the most frustrating part, right? Because you can even you can even get over the fact that they lost at Georgia. I could get over that, especially because it was an entertaining game in terms of being. Well, you yeah, you didn't go embarrass yourself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and whether or not whether or not there was any confidence that they could go down on that last drive and score, the fact of the matter is they had the ball in their possession with, with the possibility of going up and winning that game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from from those perspectives, I, can, we, I think we're on the same page. All right. So I don't want to um, – we can't go this whole episode without bringing up the bowl situation. Um, it's just – it's extremely frustrating. I understand the contractual tie-ins, and that puts Virginia in a game they have no business being in. I understand all that. I think this is super tricky. This is a really tricky spot for Notre Dame because nobody, there's no excitement. Nobody, no fans are excited about this matchup. This team has five losses by like 20 points total. They have the next up and coming hot coach. It's Iowa State. It's their big chance to knock off Notre Dame. It's the, it's a, it's a tricky trap. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I, I, it's so I, uh, it's so frustrating, and you're. It, it's like I say when we play Navy. In some ways, it's a no win situation. You win, you're not going to get that much credit because you're expected to. You lose, and you're never going to hear the end of it. And if you lose this one, the, it's all going to turn into give us their head coach. So, you know. Yeah. So. No part part of the reason this game bothers me so much is because a I think it's actually going to be a pretty good game because Iowa State is is good. I, I do think if Notre Dame shows up and plays their best game, they're better. Um, and that's proven just in their records. I mean, obviously, Iowa State still has five losses because they can't find a way to win games or whatever it is. I haven't, I'll admit I haven't watched too much of them. But the reason I hate this game, outside of the fact that they could, eat, they could technically beat Notre Dame, is, the, is they shouldn't be playing in the first place. If they were 9-3 and three or 10-2, and two, then I'd say, fuck yeah, let's play them. But I had... I got so many people that were upset with me the other day because I tweeted out that these teams too, these teams shouldn't be playing. I had Iowa State fans in my mentions. I had uh, Big Ten fans or whatever, or Big 12 fans in my mentions for whatever freaking reason, saying that, oh, well, you know, don't take this team lightly. I'm like, I'm not. Ten and two shouldn't be playing seven. Months. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> like that. That's the. But see, that's the thing people are missing. It's not a shot at their program and their coach, who I respect a ton, that's not the pro- how could you have 25 ranked teams and Notre Dame at 10 and 2? I understand why they're not in the New Year's six because of the contracts. But how do you not match up with any other team that's ranked in the top 25? Right. Like well, I, 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 I don't understand that. <laughs> I had one guy I had one guy bring up the fact that Utah was playing Texas. Like like I was supposed to stop complaining. I'm like, well, Utah shouldn't be playing Texas either. That's it's true. Right. <laughs> why? Why? Why are either of them happy? Utah was in the playoff game if they won their last game, and they now they have to play Texas. Like it's brutal. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's tough. And and you, that's the other Nathan. This is the other reason the ten and two thing bothers me. If it was ten and two, but Notre Dame's playing 
a reasonably decent team like Florida in a big bowl game, that's something where it's a consolation prize to 10 and 2 that I could at least turn in my mind to be a, a potential starting point to turn the corner. You could say, we're going to get this big bowl drought since the 90s off of us, beat an SEC team that's decent, build that momentum into the offseason. This takes all that off the table, and it makes this year in totality extremely frustrating. Yeah, no, I, I think it was if Georgia beat LSU, we would have been in the Citrus Bowl instead of Michigan or something like that. But um, I mean, part of the, I mean, part of the reason. I mean, it's kind of like what you said: if Notre Dame took care of business, we wouldn't be having the discussion. And part of that is because. I mean, the, the committee essentially made up their mind about Notre Dame after after the Michigan game, too, because they didn't move up a single bit the entire year, even after winning five straight games and four very convincingly after that. They stayed at 15 the entire time or went from 16 to 15, back to 16, back to 15, whatever it was. But they didn't, they, they didn't budge in the polls, um, from, or at least the committee polls, and that's an issue. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was the whole thing is just really frustrating. And at the same time, if 10 wins is the basement, that's fine. But we have to see you got to take the next step eventually, like turn this turn this corner somehow. And uh, OK, so let's we've gone just about an hour. Um, I want to hit you're my recruiting guy. I trust you. Um you have good information, good rationale about how to think about different things around this program when it comes to recruiting. Um, what do you think is realistic in terms of this 2020 class and finishing it out? Um, I think there's really only one guy that they're really looking at, unless there's a surprise or two that you know come up because of coaching changes or so on and so forth. But uh, they have 17 guys right now. The last guy that they want to end with uh, is a California athlete. His name is Ramon Henderson. Um, a lot of people think he's he's pretty raw um, in general, but he has that uh, tra- track speed that a guy like Lindsey and Troy Pride um, brought you know have brought to the roster um, in their times at Notre Dame. Um, I think the coaching staff likes him as a cornerback maybe a safety down the road. Um, but he's pretty much the remaining guy. Um, they, they, the one thing I'll give the staff credit for in the last couple of years um, is the recruiting and with the new, with the, uh, with the new rules about signing early and different things like that, they've been locking up classes pretty early. So even though it might seem sort of uneventful right now because they haven't landed a, a commitment in a long time. It's partly due because they, they you know, they, they did they did the work early on and they got guys to commit that they wanted to commit. So it's hard to be upset with that. Yeah, and I think a part of the frustration is, and there's really not much Notre Dame can ever do about this, is you look at it early in a cycle and you're like, Notre Dame's sitting there at like sixth or seventh and you're like, oh, that's fantastic. And then like you said, the class is pretty much done and then you got all the hat flippers and all that stuff. And then before you know it, Notre Dame's 20th again. And and that's that's an ongoing frustration. I'm hoping somehow this 2021 continues to build on itself because that really has an opportunity to be 
the best class of the Kelly era and a legitimate top seven, top five class. Tell me we can get Will Shipley. I want this kid so bad. He's Christian McCaffrey. I want him. I want him. Tell me we can do it. Uh, I think Notre Dame leads. If that helps, if that makes you feel. Well, who the hell says I'm going to go to North Carolina State instead of Notre Dame? Who says that? I don't give a shit if your dad went there. It's NC State. I think the only real team in that race, minus Notre Dame, is Clemson. Um, and if I'm not 100 percent sure Clemson's officially offered yet, I think they have. But if they haven't, it's it's probably going to come, and that that is definitely an offer that. I know he's wanted, um, so but I do think even with that offer, I would still say Notre Dame has a really good chance. Um, going back to your point a little bit, I, I know it happens most years, so most people probably don't want to hear this. The 2020 class is a little bit of an anomaly in terms of coming, kind of going down the rankings as the season goes on, and it's partly because they only have 17 commits. I mean, you can't convince me that Michigan has a better class than them, for example, But and now they have 24 commits. That's the only reason Michigan's class is ranked higher. It's ranked lower in every other statistical category from an average rating standpoint, um, you know, top 100 prospects they bland. And, you know, the way I kind of view the Notre Dame class this year is sort of how Clemson used to be until they became this real, real big power with their recruiting where they're always going to be number one or number two. And it's, you know, the class as a whole finishes like somewhere between like 10 and 15, but they have the impactful guys that at the end of the day, make it a much better class than the ranking standpoint. And so I would personally encourage people, especially some of those that maybe want to get into recruiting, but don't really follow it a whole lot and just kind of look at rankings and so on and so forth. Don't look at rankings in a vacuum. Look at how, how many top 100 guys is the team landing? How much, what, what are the offers these kids are landing? If you do by chance, you know, have a little bit of info in terms of, you know, maybe you have a 24-7 or a rival subscription or you know someone, figure out if some of those offers were actually legit. I mean, for example, Notre Dame is a, a defensive tackle coming in. His name, I'm not going to, not even going to say his last name because it's crazy. His first name's Aiden. We just, I just call him AK whenever I talk to people. Ohio State wanted him insanely bad from everything I've ever seen. But the kid's a three star. I'll take that. If Ohio State wants you, I want you. So that, that's, he's a good example of maybe a kid that flies under the radar a little bit. But the staff really loves him. I know other really, really good staffs in the country also loved him. So looking at a kid because he's a four-star, because he's a five-star, because he's a three-star, or looking at the class simply because it's ranked 15th, you've got to be better than that when you, when you kind of look at that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I think a lot of fans aren't. I think that's fair, but I also – recruiting's a thing. you got to be – not a lot of people, like you said, look into it that much. They look every six months on rivals or something and just see the rankings, right? Um, and like what you said about Clemson was accurate. If you look back at those classes leading up to our game with them last year, Notre Dame and them were actually pretty close overall. 
in their averages. But you look at the high-end elite guys, and those are the guys that beat us. <laughs> you know, the, the quarterback, the receivers, the D-line. And so there's a bunch of different ways to have class averages. So I, I totally get what you're saying. But even I, the glass half-empty Notre Dame guy, 20 and 21 are two really, really solid classes. And I give them credit because they're recruiting a notch above what they usually do. Don't you agree? Yeah, and it, yeah, it's the five stars. I mean, when you think of it, they're getting the elite guys. I mean, Jordan Johnson is a five star on twenty four seven composite. He's a five star on rivals. I don't know what else you want. Chris Tyree is a five star on twenty four seven composite and a top one hundred player on rivals. I can tell you what else I want. Here's what else I want. I want them to give those kids a chance to play early and often next year. That's what I want. Absolutely. Give them a chance, especially Tyree, because you need a running back like that, and you don't have one. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. My point from a recruiting standpoint is is you can look at plenty of other years where there's a really good class. Those players turn out to be really good players. None of them were considered must-starts right away like a Kyle Hamilton. And now Notre Dame, and not only – so let's just go back to the 2019 class. They land Kyle Hamilton, who's a big impact player, who they typically don't land. They follow that up with guys like Jordan Johnson, Chris Tyree, Michael Mayer, who a lot of people think is the best tight end in the class. Um, And then next year, they have Blake Fisher, who's technically a five-star on rivals, even though it doesn't show yet. And Lorenzo Styles, I think, technically just got a bump down from rivals by like five spots, which would put him into technically four-star, but if the season ended today, it would have been a five-star. And then, obviously, Tyler Buckner, which everybody is talking about. Those are guys that they weren't landing in the past, and they're landing them now, and they're doing it in consecutive classes versus, oh, hey, let's get a Jalen Smith every once every five years. I like seeing it in consecutive classes, and that's been my biggest point with recruiting jumping up. Yeah, and it's it's a good you feel like almost Kelly has one more big ramp up go around, right? To change change things around a little bit, get your staff situated, get all this talent and it just feels like there's one more opportunity to maybe build up a ramp for one a, a couple years where you're really really truly competitive and I it excites me, but I'm just I, I got to see it to believe it <laughs> just because I'm a Notre Dame fan, you know? Um, the the last question I have for you, I want to finish with this. What do you think is going to happen with Phil? Um, I, I think if, assuming Book returns, which I think he does, I haven't heard anybody suggest he's 100% going to transfer and you know, I think actually most of the guys who haven't said anything of that sort, I think the fans simply assume he's going to transfer if Book returns. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me. That's pretty much all I really have on that. Listen, I'm sorry. It's just, I don't, I wouldn't blame the kid, man. He's, I, he doesn't want to hold a clipboard and sit behind Book, who's going to win you all the games except for the biggest ones. Like, I, I don't. I, I, I'm just frustrated with it. I would at least, I, I, I am. Like, book's good enough to get you your 10, but I want more than 10. Like, sorry. I, I just, it, 
it's frustrating. And then is Buckner the future to grow with all those other young guys? Is he the dude? Because I think he's he might be. Yeah, I mean, conventional wisdom says yes, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm always going to be hesitant, you know, with quarterbacks because you just never know how they're going to develop. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, some people would say, especially at Notre Dame, at least in the last 10 years. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think quarterback is in a good spot right now because even if, even if Book doesn't return, or sorry, even if Book does return and Phil transfers, you're going to have the next step. You're going to have the, or sorry, I should say the very next year, you're going to have Brendan Clark as a junior. You'll have Drew Pine, who they really like as, in his second year in the program. And then you'll have Tyler Buckner, who I wouldn't be surprised at all if he starts as a freshman, as your starter freshman year, which if Phil was there, maybe he wouldn't. And maybe you'd be, maybe you'd regret that. I'd rather I'd, I'd almost rather have Buckner starting as a freshman than having to wait him out. Okay, uh, see now you just you just went where I was going because the next thing I was going to say is if that's the case and we go with Book's going to be back and where the hell's he going to go? So of course he's I think he's going to be back, but right. My my big thing looking at all this talent coming in was. I am totally fine and excited about the idea of actually letting a young kid go in there with other young kids and letting them all go through the growing pains together for a couple years, and it ends up building a monster a couple or a few years later. I have not seen that yet from Brian Kelly, and it would actually excite me to see him commit to a young kid with huge upside and let all these guys grow together. I love that plan. Right. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because there were there's been whispers that, you know, one of the big reasons why Chip Long didn't want to leave necessarily was because he was so excited about Buckner. Um, and, you know, him and Kelly both want to at least coach Buckner for a little bit. I mean, I've heard that on a, on the Irish Illustrated podcast, and those guys are in the know as much as anybody. So <laughs> Dude, that would excite me, yeah. Nathan. Nathan, that would excite me. And that's a different tone. Say you did that. And you got him playing as a freshman and he gets overwhelmed and some dumb stuff happens and they lose a stupid game or whatever. I can right. deal with that looking forward the next couple years after. The frustration with somebody like Book is you're already an old guy and we're going through these pains and there is no reward after it because then you're done. Like, like I see value in that. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree, and I think most fans that are even pessimistic would would agree with that. I mean, they you you can look at a kid who's a, who's a freshman and see the talent and just realize he's not a hundred percent ready yet. But you threw him into the fire with everybody else. Everybody, the program's excited, especially the, the underclassmen that are playing with them. And and you know, and fuck, maybe you get maybe you get lightning in a bottle and you end up with the next Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields and everything clicks almost immediately anyway. I, I just, just, um, just once yeah. I'd like to see them take this path because it's one they haven't really done yet and actually let a kid develop and, and I think it would pay off down the line. And if he's that kid and it seems like he might be, 
I'm totally fine with that. I, I think that would be the next play after Book leaves if if it's whatever it's going to be. And I don't know about Phil. I just think it might be really frustrating to lose out on an athletic freak like that and to think he never really gets a real shot. That's just frustrating. Yeah. No, I think I, – I, I think the – I know we're not trying to go too much longer here, but the, I, I understand the frustration from a fan base when they look at Phil. He was a top 100 guy coming out of high school. A lot of people thought that he was going to be the heir apparent to Brandon Wimbush, who was also a top 100 guy that obviously did, just didn't end up working out. But they, 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 they see Phil, they see 6'5", they see the running ability that he has shown in very limited spurts. They see the arm strength. Um, you know, like I said, obviously the fact that he was a high-profile recruit, they, they'd rather have that than Book, who was a former Washington State commit, wasn't even the quarter, wasn't even the quarterback that this specific staff recruited. He was recruited by Mike Sanford. So, I mean, it's I, I get it from that perspective, but the other part of me really understands why the staff isn't going to just put him in there when they feel that Book is a better player. And I know fans don't want to hear that, but I think that that's genuine, genuinely what the staff believes. But like, okay, see, but that drives me absolutely crazy because Phil has more physical upside. I don't think just based on right. size, speed, strength, arm strength, all that stuff. Phil obviously has more athletic upside. But then if you say the staff thinks that Ian Book's the best chance or whatever, I've already seen him lose every and look bad in every single big game. So what? I, I just there's no more upside. He he's not an elite thrower, and that costs you against the best teams you play. And we don't beat any. So what else do I need to see? Is my point right? Yeah, and and, and honestly, I think that's where the the trickiness comes in because fans want to see the new people. They want to see the guys that haven't failed yet, that might never fail. I I, I get that. I think we get lost a little bit when. It's the, the coaching staff. They're sitting there trying to win football games, and if they feel like Book is the is the guy that will win them more games, whether or not he's lost the big ones, they're not going to sit there and be like, "Okay, well, let's just roll with Phil." Especially because I don't feel like they're looking at themselves as a rebuilding program. I think if they were, okay, maybe they would play Phil, but I think they view themselves as, you know, you want to call it national championship. That's fine call it 10 plus wins that's fine they probably didn't think phil gave him the opportunity to win those games this year and they felt that book did and i i kind of just have to feel like i have to side with with them on that yeah i mean i understand that it's just i i see book ceiling as being very very clear and evident where he runs into a wall can't get anything accomplished I see that. And with Phil, I just know there's more potential upside. But like you said, they're not going to sacrifice three wins to figure that out. You know, like I, so I get that. It's just the quarterback thing under Kelly's always been a frustration. And it'd be really nice. Find a young guy, run with them, grow with them, let the growing pains do it all together. And like you said, you might be pleasantly surprised. Um, but it, it's going to get interesting. But all right, we went an hour and 15 minutes already. I don't want to go any longer and make people spend their whole night with us. Um, but I'll tell you this, Nathan. I got an entire notepad of bullet point questions for you that we did not even 
get to. So I would like to reconvene and have you come back because I didn't even get to anything on this sheet. Perfect. I love talking on the pod as much as possible. We've uh, at Slap the Sign. We had that podcast with Ben for a little bit. Um, that and but he's he's been pretty busy with his uh, with his work life recently. So we haven't really had the podcast is, I guess, to a certain extent, non-existent. So anytime I can get on and talk Notre Dame, I'm down. Well, we we're gonna have to do it again because I got a ton of stuff I didn't cover. Uh, I still wish we would have disagreed more, but maybe we'll find something on the next batch of notes that I have. Perfect. I'm ready. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Nathan. I really appreciate it. This is good information, and uh, you're going to come back on soon. I really enjoyed this. Awesome. Thanks for having me, John. Thanks a lot, my friend.